Hello, friends. Welcome to Wednesday Wake Up, a podcast hosted by Gregory Maloof, Buddhist Dharma teacher in the lineage of Ruth Dennison, mental health therapist, and mindfulness coach. Wednesday Wake Up explores the ancient teachings of Buddhism through the lens of Western psychology, neuroscience, and the modern human potential movement. Our commitment is for these teachings to educate, challenge, and inspire you to awaken to your deepest potential to live a truly fulfilling life of wisdom, joy, and compassion. Thank you for joining us. May these teachings serve you well. So I wanted to continue the last six weeks or so. I've been taking my inspiration from this essay by Gil Fronsdal, as you know, about how we evaluate our practice. And there's two more sections that I would like to take inspiration from because it's been, I've had so much fun using that uh, to create uh, little talks. And I want to read a couple quotes. Well, I'll read one quote and it'll get started and I'll read another small quote that Gil talks about for evaluating our practice. Gil says this, is your life balanced enough to support a regular and useful meditation practice? It can, in fact, be counterproductive to add meditation to a life already packed with too many activities. Uh Uh-oh, I think we're in trouble. (laughs) It can be counterproductive to add meditation to a life already packed with too many activities. I like that line because, one, if I were to write a a memoir, I think that would be the title, A Life Packed with Too Many Activities. That would be about as far as I've gotten in my meditation practice. So I'm just curious, show of hands, how many of you feel like your life is packed with too many obligations, duties, and activities? Is it just me, or does the world feel filled with obligations? Some of you may be in retirement, and you don't have a lot of duties and activities, but do you find that putting meditation in sometimes feels like it's already a packed schedule with work, with family, with with whatever. Do you already feel like there's enough things going on or is it just me? <laughs> yeah, right? So I think it's interesting that we forget that when we ask ourselves to meditate, it's always asking ourselves to put something in into a life that already is filled with mortgages and kids and all kinds of things, right? And that sometimes we may feel bad or feel rushed or oh, I should be meditating more. And we forget that the ask is pretty high. We are actually asking ourselves to add another task or duty into a life that's already filled with things to do. And that, you know, the monastics, not that their life is easy by any means, but the monastic life is set up to practice. So if you're a monastic, you're not going to forget that it's meditation hour. You're not going to, at the end of your day, you're not going to be like, oh my gosh, I forgot to meditate. Like that's never, never going to happen. In my life, I might get up in the morning. Okay, I'm rushing. Okay, I'm not going to sit now. I have to do this. I'll sit later. And then I'm falling asleep and it's like, oh, right, meditation. Okay, right. So we have to remember that the ask of ourselves to meditate is actually significant. We are asking ourselves to put something into an already packed day and that we're asking ourselves to not only do that, but we're asking ourselves to do that every day, a regular established practice. It is not just an occasional thing, right? Part of the maturing in our dharma is to establish a daily practice, which means we have to remind ourselves that it's a big ask. And so one of the things I like about this quote that that Gil says here is that he just reminds us, <laughs> reminds us that that's what's happening, that it's not as simple as when I'm going to meditate. It's 
how am I going to bring meditation into life? Because when meditation is treated like something on a checklist, right, which I'm guilty, <laughs> guilty of doing this sometimes, where it's like a thing to do, like, okay, I got my meditation done, now I can go get into my day, now I can go live. When we look at meditation too much like a task or a thing to do, then it can feel like a burden, right? And it can start to become something that we don't really feel. It's just something that we do, something we get out of the way. So then we can go do the fun stuff, which is like watching TV or going out and having fun with friends or doing it's something we do on the way to something else. So we want to ask ourselves when we evaluate practice in my life right now, is there a place, is there a home where meditation resides that feels comfortable amidst everything else that we're doing? And is it placed in a way that's not taking away from other good things in our life, like sleep and eating well and exercising and having healthy social life and healthy time with family? We always want to ask ourselves, is our mindfulness practice integrated well into the busyness of our day. One of the things, this might have been last night actually, it might have been last night. So I, these days I do a short meditation in the morning after some kind of exercise if I'm lucky. And then uh, I do my longer sit in the evening. And last, yesterday was really busy. And I was on the couch, I was feeling really tired. I looked at the clock and I was like, man, I really want to meditate, but I'm so tired. And I was like, I really want to sit for an hour and get my full meditation in. I looked at the clock and I got on my cell phone and was kind of looking at Instagram or something. And I looked back at the clock and was like, okay, I got to make a decision here what, what I'm going to do. And I thought, well, my commitment is to meditate, so I'm just going to stay up and do it. And then I thought, you know, that's not skillful in this moment because then I'm not going to get the sleep I need. And I have this commitment to like getting a certain amount of sleep. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to sit for 20 minutes then I'm going to spend 20 minutes getting ready, relaxed, and get, get ready for bed in a way that doesn't feel rushed, that feels kind of relaxed. And so that's, that was my choice in that moment. But in that moment, I could have just as easily said, like, I've got this meditation commitment, and so I'll just stay up a little later and get up a little later. And, and we need to remind ourselves that meditation shouldn't be booting out other healthy things in our life. Our commitment to meditate needs to be integrated in so that we make sure we're getting enough sleep and that we're getting enough rest and we're eating okay and we're having our loved ones and we're interacting with our loved ones and being with our children. We want to make sure that meditations infuse in a way that feels healthy. One of the things that we forget is that when the Buddha says we need to establish a practice, he's presuming that that practice is going to be established on top of well-being, that we have a sense of well-being in our life, and that well-being is going to support and care for the practice. And it's important to remember that the Buddha was a yogi. So health practices like stretching and doing breathing and those kind of things were presumed that there was going to be some activity. And also, these folks were living at a time where you weren't going to forget to be mobile, Right? They're not going to sit at a desk for, <laughs> for eight hours and not get some kind of physical activity. So early days in the Dharma, practice was built across, upon some sense of stability. And we just want to make sure that when we reflect on our practice, that we remind ourselves that we want to create a healthy little space for meditation to be so it feels safe and secure. Gil says this, Do you have a healthy balance between work and time off? 
Is there an appropriate balance between time with others and time alone? Do you get enough exercise that a good sense of vitality supports your meditation practice? Do you get enough sleep to stay awake during meditation? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Some people need sleep more than meditation, Gil says. Some people need sleep more than meditation. So we just want to make sure that there's well-being at the bottom of this practice, right? On the foundation that we build it. That being said, I want to remind us that I can't overestimate the significance of daily regular practice. That when we talk about being a meditator, when we talk about being on the Eightfold Path, the path only works if it's integrated into life. So eventually, daily practice has to arise for the path to support itself. Now, it may be that your daily practice is five minutes, but that's five minutes every day. It may just be 20 minutes, but that's 20 minutes every day. And I want to talk about the reason that regular practice is so important. And I, I give one little talk on this at least every year. I think it's partly for my own benefit to remember like, okay, got to have a daily practice. Don't give up on the practice. I want to just list a few things that we, we might forget sometimes as to why daily practice is so important. The first thing is mindset. When we practice daily, we are shifting our mindset from meditation being a task to being a way of being in the world. On occasion, I like to go to the movies. I don't go to the movies every day. It's something I do on occasion that's a part of my life. We want to look at meditation not as something we do on occasion like going to the movies, but as something we do daily for our self-care. We want to consider it to be the foundational support out of which the rest of our, our life springs, right? And in order to do that, we have to shift our mindset. We have to remind the mind every day a little bit of mindfulness, every day a little bit of mindfulness. Because if each day we can have mindfulness, then mindfulness no longer becomes a duty. It becomes the energy out of which we show up in the world. It becomes the energy out of which compassion springs. It's the energy out of which generosity flows. It's the energy out of which sangha is formed in community. And the more we sit regularly, the more meditation shifts from I do meditation or I practice meditation to I'm a meditator, right? I'm walking a path. It's a spiritual way of living. So the first thing we, we the reason we practice every day is to shift it from a duty or a task or an obligation to a foundational energy of how we are as a person. We shift it from activity to a way of being. And that's the shift, the mindset shift. The second reason we practice daily is to remind ourselves that every time our butt hits the cushion, every time we're walking down a hallway and aware of sensations, every time we wake up to that wandering mind and we bring it back, we're embodying this commitment and we're embodying this belief that there is a higher form of happiness that's accessible and that we are committed to tapping into that higher form of happiness as often as we possibly can. So we remind ourselves that it's not about, oh, I meditated today. It's about, I made the commitment to tap into the only source of true happiness, which is ultimately within. And I touched down on that place within myself. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every day, we ground ourselves back into the source 
of our happiness, which is the heart, right? What lies inside. So part of the reason we're practicing is not so we can get stars on Insight Timer, <laughs> though I really like the stars on Insight Timer. <laughs> we're doing it to remind ourselves that we are committed to tapping in and getting back into the source of this happiness that the Buddha says lies within. So we're reorienting every day to remind ourselves of that higher form of happiness that we're committing to. Again, another aspect of sitting regularly. Every time we practice meditation, we are letting go of the outside world. It doesn't matter how many minutes, 60 seconds, that is a commitment to let go of the outside energy and all of that stress and discontent and turn inward. So every time we sit, we practice renunciation. Every time we sit, we practice generosity to ourselves and others. Every time we sit, we let go of the outside world and we remind ourselves the instructions in the Satipatthana, we let go of the world. The first instruction is we turn inward and we let go of the world. So we want to do that every day. Every day we want to remind ourselves that we can go inward and that this inward place is worth being. It's worth being in there, bringing awareness inside. So in wise view, which is the foundation of our Eightfold Path, we remind ourselves that letting go is part of the practice. So every day our butt hits the cushion, some renunciation gets practiced. Some letting go gets practiced. Because every time we sit on the cushion, no matter how many minutes, we've actually chosen not to do something else. We've chosen not to be on Instagram, not to be on Netflix, not to be on Amazon. We've chosen to be right here in the present moment. So we want to do that regularly. Every day we want to have a dose of that. So we remind ourselves that daily practice is daily letting go, daily renunciation. And the more we do that, letting go becomes something that feels good, right? We don't want to not meditate. It's like, oh, I haven't meditated. I'm going to sit for a few minutes and just be mindful. I'm going to sit and let go. So renunciation, great part of foundational practice. Another one we forget, and I kind of did this last week, is Sangha. A Sangha is only as strong as the folks that are sitting in the room. And that the more regular we practice, the stronger the community. Because Dharma lives in the practice. It's easy to do other things in life where you don't have to do the same thing over and over and over again like we do in the Dharma. The Dharma, I admit, can get redundant, right? But in the Dharma, the Dharma becomes alive and awakened in the world every time we hit the cushion. So by doing it every day, every day we bring Dharma into the world. Every day, every day we bring a little Dharma into the world by practicing regularly. And we remind ourselves that when we practice, we practice for each other. So when I hear students say, hey, I finally got a regular practice, I'm like, thank you, because I take it to mean, well, that's great for me. I would love to live in a world with more people practicing. So when I hear that people are practicing regularly, I feel like it's Christmas. It's like, great. I'm glad you're doing that for me. Thank you for practicing. Because every time we're practicing, we're changing the world by changing ourselves. So a daily practice is what allows us to come into this room with a strong sangha, right? We all practice every day. And then we look around the room and there's that sense of gratitude that we're all in this together, that we're not just doing it for ourselves, that we're doing it for all beings. So we have a regular practice, not just for ourselves, but for everybody, our family, our friends, 
in the world. We commit to doing it, and we always do it as this act of generosity to strengthen our community of Sangha. One part of practice that I think gets overlooked, I think in the Dharma, I mean, it's here in the Dharma, but I think it's maybe more emphasized in, I think in the Christian tradition, I would say, if I'm going back to my own upbringing, um, went to a Christian high school. Regular practice builds not only self-confidence and resilience, but it builds a sense of discipline. And I know for some of us, myself included, the word discipline can rub us the wrong way. Discipline can have this feeling of parents disciplining you or something like that, so that discipline. And discipline can have this sense of like something being imposed from without. So sometimes we're like, be disciplined. And you're like, eh, I'd rather not. <laughs> I'd rather not have discipline. But we forget that the Dharma is a spiritual practice. And all spiritual traditions by nature have a ritualized practice that creates discipline. And if we can remind ourselves why the discipline is so important, then the practice every day will feel really nurturing. One of the reasons we have the discipline of daily practice is that making the commitment to practice every day cultivates a strength of willpower. And again, I hate to use the word willpower because that's more of a Western psychological term, but translating it into the Dharma, we could say it cultivates the strength of intention. By practicing daily, what we're doing is we're throwing out an intention into the world and we're bringing that intention into being. If we say to ourselves, I'm going to practice every day this week, the intention arises and the moment we follow through with the intention, it strengthens the mind. What it tells the mind is, I can intend to be a certain way in the world, and I can follow through with that integrity. I can bring that intention manifest into reality. All spiritual traditions have a ritualized practice to discipline the mind and strengthen intention. And I'll go a little deeper here to, sh to remind us what I really mean by this. So I'm going to say willpower, but it's not willpower. It's strength of intention in the Dharma. The undisciplined mind is a mind that wanders a lot. An undisciplined mind tends to be irrational. It tends to be distracted. It tends to seek out and gravitate towards as many temporary pleasurable sensations as possible. That's, an un, that's what we call an undisciplined mind. It's a mind that just does whatever it wants. It's a mind that's driven by the energy of the hindrances, right? The undisciplined mind is the mind that you meet <laughs> When you sit down on the cushion and you close your eyes, that which arises is the undisciplined mind. It's the mind that says, I'm going to do what I want, when I want, and you can't stop me. Because that's the nature of the human mind. It's crazy in there. Well, at least in here. I don't know how it's crazy out there. In here, it's crazy, right? My mind never does what I want it to do. It's really hard to get it to, to do something that you want. So the challenge with an undisciplined mind is one, we don't have any control over it, right? If we look around the world and we look at all the harm being done, harm is most often done, if not always done, by someone who lacks control of their own behaviors, right? At least lacks the understanding that the harm is being caused, right? So in spiritual practices, we try to discipline the mind. We try to rein it in. We try to bring it into the present moment. We don't want it to be wandering and distracted. We want it to be focused. We want it to be concentrated. We want it to be present so we can then work with it. We can actually encourage it 
to do something kind. We want to be able to encourage it to do something generous without it saying, no, thank you, I'd rather go do something else. So part of discipline, if we can use that word, is to learn to have self-control because the mind is very much out of control by nature. We don't have control over it. Part of the Dharma and part of the Eightfold Path is simply learning to bring the mind back and learning to engage the mind in such a way that we can say, hey, let's be present right now and offer loving kindness rather than worrying about this grudge I have about this person that wronged me in the past, right? When the mind is left to its own devices, it does whatever it wants without discipline. It doesn't care. It just wants to, wants to hate. It wants to judge. It wants to stereotype. It wants to cling to things. When I, geez, when I think of my own mind, the thing that's really fascinating is how the mind will hold a grudge even when you don't want to. So that moment when you're angry at someone or something and you're like, I don't want to be angry at that person anymore. Like that happened earlier in the day. Why can't I let this go? And part of you is like, just let go already. Stop. What are you, why are you still pissed at this? And the mind's like, I don't know. I just feel like it. And you can't stop me. You, I find it really weird that I cannot tell my mind to stop being angry at something and it won't just behave. It just won't do it. It just won't behave right? It's undisciplined. It does what it wants. And I come, as I've said before in other Dharma talks, from a long line of grudge holders, right? I've been trained deeply in holding grudges. And I've had to train my mind using Vipassana to let go of the past and really let go of the past. And I still, to this day, after nearly 30 years of practice, find myself getting angry. The other day, I found myself getting angry at someone. I thought to myself, this has been annoying you for like six months. It's like, what? Done, done now. Just be done already. And my mind was like, yeah, not ready. Nope. No control. I can't just tell it. I just can't tell it to let go of being pissed off at something. That's what we're talking about with discipline. Part of the Dharma is disciplining the mind and daily practice, intending to have daily practice, doing that practice even when we don't want to, creates that discipline. It's the foundation of working with the hindrances. It's the foundation of letting go of hate. It's the foundation of letting go of that rumination when the mind is worrying about something as you're falling asleep and you just want to go to bed and the mind's like, I'm not done worrying about this. And so you're up for two hours waiting for it to allow you to go to sleep. So discipline is another reason, this willpower, so to speak, is why we practice every day. What's interesting in, uh, in Western psychology, if you, it's known, this is kind of a joke in Western psychology, if the majority of all studies ever done in Western psychology on any human trait in the history of psychology, more studies have been done on human willpower than any other study. The reason being, we don't have a whole heck of a lot of it. So we're trying to figure out, how do I get this mind and heart to do what I want to do? I want to show up in this way, and the mind's like, I don't want to. And you're like, well, what do I need to do to get you to do my bidding? After all, it's my mind, right? It's my heart. But the mind just doesn't want to do it. So daily practice might seem like, oh, you know, I'll practice Friday. I'll practice every day, discipline practice. Every day, a little bit of time on the cushion. The more continuity of daily practice 
the more disciplined the mind becomes. And the stronger it becomes in practice, the hindrances start to behave themselves a little bit, you start to befriend them, and then you start having more self-control. I hate to use the word self-control, but we know in the the Dharma what self-control is not power over something. <laughs> you ever try to control the hindrances? Okay, good luck with that. So we're not, when I say self-control, I don't mean that kind of control because that doesn't work. Self-control just means changing your relationship to your own mind, right? Befriending the hindrances so you have more autonomy, right? And more individuality in being able to say, I would like to show up today nice to this person that I don't really like. And the mind's like, okay, let's do that. That's the goal, right? That discipline that the mind can open its heart to something or someone where there's a little bit of an edge there. There's a little bit of sharpness. The more disciplined the practice, the more openness the heart. So they're really connected, that daily practice. Grounding this in the Dharma itself. When we look at the Buddha's insight, the Buddha often highlights the fact that what he, what he was joyous in was the fact that enlightenment is caused through his own actions, that it wasn't dependent on outside circumstances, and that when he disciplined the mind, his intentions opened the heart. He, the freedom arose through him practicing <clears throat> in a disciplined way, and the realization was, oh my gosh, there is a source of happiness that I have access to that no one can take away from me but I have to be intentional and cultivate positive heart-mind qualities and learn to abandon unskillful heart-mind qualities. And how do we do that? By training the heart, by training the mind. When the Buddha talks about meditation, we always talk about it in such uh, gentle terms, but the Buddha talked about Vipassana like training a wild elephant, right? So it wasn't like he was saying this is easy and then the mind's just going to behave. He was like, no, no, this is like a, a wild elephant that's thrashing all about and you're trying to like establish this relationship with it. That's the, the discipline part, right? That's the more uh, focused, energized part of the path, a sense of discipline. And where does it start? Five minutes of mindfulness a day. Then it becomes 20. Then it becomes an hour, right? This discipline practice day to day. Skillful heart-mind qualities that arise out of self-control and discipline. I'll conclude by saying this today. When we remind ourselves why we practice daily and why we need the discipline of daily practice, we just remind ourselves that a disciplined mind allows us to live a life of our choosing. It actually allows us to show up how we, how we would like to show up, right? That a disciplined mind is a mind that says, I'm going to show up as a kind, gentle human being. And guess who shows up? A kind, gentle, loving person. And so that's the joy of the discipline, is that we actually end up with a life that we've chosen, rather than a life that's inherited, rather than a life that's driven by the hindrances and by habits and by this, <laughs> this habit we have of being on autopilot, right? A disciplined mind is one that turns off the autopilot and intentionally lives a mindful life is one that's filled with this sense of choice and freedom. And the reward we get is happiness. We get a freedom from suffering because we choose how we show up and we choose how we respond. The greatest freedom we have, which is really the highest freedom in the, in the Dharma, is 
the freedom to choose how we respond to life circumstances. And in order to imbibe that freedom, we have to discipline the mind and train it to do so. And that's the path. So next time you want to uh, sit on the cushion and the other part of yourself is like, eh, I could do it some other time. Just remember, five minutes daily, life of freedom is what we're looking for, right? Happiness. Thanks for listening. All right, we're going to get you out on time tonight. So let's plop back into presence for a few minutes while we do our closing meta. Take a few intentional breaths. And just ask yourself in this moment what kind of breathing would make you feel at ease. Maybe some long breaths, maybe some short breaths. Let's bring awareness back to the whole body, feeling into that sitting posture. We might just check in with mood. You've been here for 90 minutes or so. Just notice how you feel. Let's call to the altar of our hearts something that's going well. If we're here tonight in practice, whether it's in the room or online, something's going okay. What are you grateful for? Bring that energy into your heart with each breath. Grounded in the pleasure of gratitude. Let us conclude this evening by answering this question. In this moment, if you could wish anything for all beings, and know that wish would come to pass. What might you wish with each breath? May all beings be free from suffering in this lifetime.
Thank you, my friends. On a concluding note, before we pack up the Sangha, thank you again for those who've been able to donate to our fundraiser to get the rent for this next six months. We'll be sending out a little link for those who haven't donated yet or who would like to become a monthly contributor so we can stabilize this new adventure we're all on. Uh, as I said earlier, uh, the last uh, donations that we're looking for is we've raised $1,400 and we're just looking for $347 and that will take our first six months. So we'll send that out in the newsletter. Um, but thank you again for valuing this and showing up in practice and with the spirit of your hearts and, and Donna and your participation. So I'm very excited to be with y'all and we'll see you next week. So thanks so much. Be safe and be well. Thanks for joining us here at Wednesday Wake Up. We honor the traditional Buddhist practice of offering the teachings without charge. So this podcast will always be ad-free and will never be behind a paywall. This podcast is sustained exclusively by the generosity of listeners. If you've received value from this podcast and have found your life or practice enriched by listening to it, you can support Gregory as a teacher by going to our website, www.wednesdaywakeup.com, and click on Donate at the menu on the top. While you're here at the website, join our mailing list and follow Gregory on Instagram at Gregory Maloof Dharma. Thank you again for listening. May all beings be happy.